There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and we either can't afford or don't have the time to go to any of them. Also, there was a worldwide pandemic. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat. On Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this episode, we're traveling to the 2017 edition of the Beyond Film Festival in Los Angeles, California, where we'll be checking out Isaac Godfrey, Jeffrey Nabwana's Bad Black, and Stefan Ruzowitzki's Cold Hell. <laughs> Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the video joker, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good. I don't know what the video joker is, though. The video joker, the VJ in the movie we're going to be talking about today. Oh, the video joker. I don't know why that it didn't occur to me. I thought it was more like a DJ, like a disc jockey. That's that's a reasonable uh, uh, interpretation of it. But no, they're more than just a VJ. And anyway, our audience, our listeners right now might be getting a little bit confused. This will all be explained as we go through it. But just to do it very, very quickly, the movie Bad Black that we're going to be talking about today, it's a Wakaliwood film made in Uganda. And one of the things that is common... Uh, with Ugandan films, is that they have a video joker, a VJ, talk along with the movie to explain the plot, to make jokes, to basically <laughs> sometimes undermine what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's part of the tradition of film, uh, uh, you know, showings there. And uh, and there's the, the films that are most commonly recognized by genre fans from Uganda, from Wakaliwood, that those being... Who Killed Captain Alex and today's feature, Bad Black, they both feature the the audio track has the video joker on it. That's so interesting. I I just immediately thought of v, VJ as related to DJ, which would be confusing because the, the dude talks a lot, which you would associate more with an MC. But that's more of a hip-hop thing. In reggae, the DJ is the one who talks, and the one who spins the ones and twos is actually the selector, which like took me a bit to realize that there was that difference in terminology. Liam, I, I grew up in Canada with a uh, television station called Much Music, as opposed to sure, MTV, yeah. which is what you have in Canada. Did you refer to the people who introduced the videos as VJs in the U.S.? I believe they did. I didn't know anyone who said that. But then you would see, like, if there was a news article about whoever on MTV, they would call them a VJ, which I assumed was like a DJ. Only that's not real because they don't choose the fucking videos. <laughs> you know, there's a programmer who does that. They they just talk, which, again, doesn't make sense, right? Because... The the for me all this terminology I will associate with hip hop. The DJ usually doesn't say a word, and it's the MC who does all the talking. So really, the guys on MTV or ladies for that matter feel like uh, MCs more than DJs. But I mean, there's a lot of radio stations that have very restrictive playlists where sure. probably yeah. the DJs don't play. They don't choose right. the music that they right. play. Right. Right. Right, like a clear well, channel type shit. And the V, the video Joker is similar to the reason I bring up reggae. It literally reminds me of D Doug. Do you have any uh, reggae stations around you now or when you were a kid? 
<laughs> Liam. I'm going to assume not because you're in Canada. <laughs> Liam, but, let me reiterate something that maybe I haven't reiterated on this show, but certainly do regularly on social media. When I was growing up in Newfoundland, we didn't even have anything outside of a single, like we had like CBC radio, but in terms of our radio stations that we could pick up where I grew up, there was a couple of country stations and two mainstream rock stations, and that was it. So there's a, there's a number of college stations in Philly, but there's only one that is uh, so committed to being DIY that they regularly get fined, not just for letting curse words fly without editing them, but for not having one, anyone in the station. Because like someone left for class and no one showed up to finish, <laughs> I love so it. then it's just dead air, you know. Or or they'll just put on a now that computers exist, they put on an MP3 list or whatever. But on Saturdays they turn over the station to a lot of community groups, and every Sunday after the gospel show, which was way early, so I usually miss the gospel show. They would have reggae uh, uh, and other forms of of, of Jamaican music. Uh, and the thing that I always found so confusing about the DJs on the reggae station is they didn't play the whole song. You would intro a song in a, by the way, a a patois that I found indecipherable. Like, I don't know if this was real or if this dude was playing it up for the radio, but you're making me want to do my Rasta man character. No, don't do it, please. (laughs) I I would, I, I, I I don't want a recording of me doing it or I would do it for you, but it's like the most ridiculous patois I've ever heard, but they would say the names of the businesses that were sponsors straight. They'd be like, uh, Berta's Soul Kitchen, and then go back into oh, Bumba Clot, you know, and whatever, whatever, go on and on and on, right? <laughs> and here was the thing though they would introduce the song, they'd start the song, then 30 seconds into the song, Doug, they're talking over the song, Amazing. and in fact. At no point was a full song ever played on the reggae show. Amazing. They would talk through the song. And I brought that up when I watched these movies with Josh on Cinepunks because he, A, knew what I was talking about, and B, that's like the VJ in Bad Black. The movie's happening, and he's introed the movie already. But then midway through the movie, he's like, you're watching Bad Black, you know, yeah. or, or you know, you're watching Who Killed Captain Alex. He'll intro the, the actors by their actor name, not by yeah. their character name. He'll reference actors that played other characters in other movies. Yes. It's amazing, and it made me feel exactly like I was listening to the reggae station, and uh, I loved it. I loved every second of it, but we'll get into that more. <laughs> Doug, and I don't want to be too stoked on the fact that I loved your movie because, Doug, we're kind of competing today. Yeah, this is a competition, Liam, and and we put up two films, uh, and, and by the by the end, I think it'll be clear which one is the winner. Both of these played, as I've said already, at the 2017 edition of the Beyond Fest uh, Film Festival. Liam, do you have any familiarity with Beyond Fest? I mean, I uh, I believe I briefly. No, knew someone who worked for them. Did their social media? <laughs> I mean, that's but I something. think I think they left and they're doing something else now. But uh, my co-host Justin Lohr, one of his best friends, used to work for them. Other than that, I know it exists. I know it's in L.A. and I know I I've been at Fantastic Fest when Beyond sure. Fest was just after. So I would talk to people at Fantastic Fest, and they're like, "I'm leaving here and going to Beyond Fest," which by the way go sounds from, like, exhausting. The, well, some people go from the TIFF. Uh, festival with all the Midnight Madness stuff right to Fantastic Fest, right to Beyond Fest afterwards. That's unbelievable. It feels like there's some repeats there too, so you'd have to be very careful. The thing about going to one fest, right, is that there's so many movies that if you don't get the one you want, there's probably something else worth watching. But if you went to TIFF and then you went to Fantastic Fest and then you went to Beyond Fest, by the time you're at Beyond Fest, you're like, look, if I don't get into this one movie, I'm just going somewhere else (laughs) because I'm not seeing this other thing. I already saw it. So before we get into the movies proper, I want to talk a little bit about the history of Beyond Fest. This is the blur from their website. 
Beyond Fest is the highest attended genre film festival in the U.S. and exists to support film fans and filmmakers alike. Based in Los Angeles, Beyond Fest is a not-for-profit entity built in partnership with the American Cinematheque that raises funds for the 501c3 nonprofit film institution. Its favorite film is Jaws. And we are talking specifically, Liam, about the 2017 edition, which ran from September 29th to October 10th, 2017. I will say that Beyond Fest, even compared to other genre film festivals, they get a lot of celebrities <laughs> because they're in Los Angeles. So when you look at like the list of movies that played here, almost every single one, you know, n- not just the movies that are premiering or the ones that are new, they show a lot of older films. Uh, in this case, they had like a, a retrospective of like uh, Walter Hill movies and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. So they showed The Running Man and they showed uh, both Baby Driver and The Driver. So they had Edgar Wright and Walter Hill in attendance for both of those. So basically every movie had some sort of celebrity in attendance as well, which is, I guess, one of the advantages of doing a festival like this in Los Angeles. Just going to go quickly through some of the movies that were shown at this festival, uh, not including the ones that we're going to be talking about today. I mentioned Baby Driver. They did a retrospective of Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the Tommy Wiseau film Best Friends, Brawl and Cell Block 99, Hellraiser, Ichi the Killer, Howard the Duck on 70mm. Uh, they did uh, a screening of the te- television series Jean-Claude Van Johnson, Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, Phantom of the Paradise, Predator, Rawhead Rex, the Running Man, Suspiria in a 4K restoration, et cetera, et cetera. Liam, anything on this list of films that showed at that festival that jump out to you that uh, that you're a fan of or that you have any particular feelings outside of some of the the, uh, the retrospective type films? Oh, well, you know, this is the thing about Beyond Fest that I think sort of adds to their being so um, well attended. It's way more retrospective screening. It sure is, absolutely. Than a lot of other festivals do. And I, I'm curious... Uh, at least at this year's festival, and I don't think this is the case anymore, a lot of the newer films were the free screenings. Yeah, that's true. Revenge, that, that Cold Hell, Better Watch Out, Before We Vanish. Um, I really like Revenge. Uh, I think Mohawk was okay. Uh, I think um, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 sucks. Um, <laughs> See, that doesn't seem like a popular opinion, Liam, but I'm right there with you. Yeah, no, I I think yeah that yeah we don't need to get into all that, but you know. Oh, we can uh, get into it a little bit. We're not big fans of maybe some of the people involved with that film. Yeah, but or any of the people involved in it for the most yeah. part. Uh, uh, anyways, point is, uh, oh, I guess no, that's the original. Yeah, did you so like Mayhem? That movie with um... you know, So I saw Mayhem before Cold Hell at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. That's right. why I picked Cold Hell because I had seen it. I think it's kind of fun. I think it's a bit underrated, but it is very light, and I think yes. it's it's a little too. I almost want to say twee for me. It's a little too interesting, silly. Even though it's kind of dark at times, it's the sort of dark that doesn't feel like you're committed to much. And so I don't know. It's fine. I didn't hate it, and it was. But like going from mayhem to cold hell was like a fucking. Uh, not to be silly, but a, a a big bucket of ice water to the yeah. face, Doug. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because Mayhem, seem, when you watch it, you get the impression that the filmmakers think that they're making a really unique satirical point. But it's like, you know, it's not. there's nothing there that we haven't seen a thousand times before. Cold Hell, to me, feels like something a little bit different, even if it's masked in the uh, trappings of, the, of a genre stuff that we're very familiar with. Yeah. I mean, so I, I do want to say that one of the things about Beyond Fest, and this is a vibe I get 
from afar. So anyone who's been who wants to correct me, let me know. But I get the feeling that Beyond Fest feels more like an open thing. So like when you're at Fantastic Fest, local Austin people will stop in for individual screenings. But there are so many people there who traveled there with a badge that it feels like a lot of the screenings are dominated by people who their whole world is for that week or whatever, or weekend, depending on how long they're there, Fantastic Fest. Whereas Beyond Fest, I know a lot of people who didn't get badges, who didn't go to a fest, but they went to four, five, six different screenings right? just because they could. They managed to get tickets, and they went. And so when it says uh, it's the most widely attended fest, I'm not surprised if you're doing a bunch of retro screenings in huge venues, and it's very open to the public. There's not, It didn't seem, at least, that there's as much of a feeling of, like, we need all these spaces for VIP badges badges then i think it probably a lot of people come through and especially if some of these screenings they did more than one of like if you've got the 4k restoration of suspiria and you're showing it multiple times and you have the 35 millimeter italian cut i would imagine every one of those screenings is going to be fucking sold out in la come on you know so like i i'm not surprised it does really well but to me that just shows that they're responsive to their environment like i don't know how many people especially where the fest is uh, chronologically compared to other fests. I don't know that that fest is one where you're going to get the same volume of people traveling over distance to get to it. But right. there's such a huge film community in LA, I'm sure they fucking murder with just the local people who already are stoked to go to film events, you know? Yeah, that makes total sense. Also, I don't think Beyond Fest gives out awards at the end of the festival. I think that's I, true. Yeah, I haven't been able to find any record of it. And most of the film festivals that we talked about even the smaller ones give some sort of award at the end so that it makes it i think feel more like a celebration of films <laughs> than it is some sort of competitive thing i mean for better or for worse liam uh, you've already talked a little bit about it but why don't you just give us a little bit more detail on why you decided to go with cold hell as the movie to talk about today well, so when I looked at the list, I, it doesn't make sense to me for this activity, Doug, for us to pick retro screenings, right? No, because 100%. we want a, you know as much as clearly this fest is partly defined by these uh, retrospective drawings. There are a number of new things that premiered here, so I wanted something that represented both this fest and also this year, twenty seventeen. Sure. So for me, I went to Cold Hell one because I know it's great. And I want to defeat you in our little competition. But two, <laughs> it's a movie that I think deserves a little bit of hype. I feel like it's underseen. It's under talked about. Um, when it when I saw it at Brooklyn Horror Film Fest, I don't even know it was 2017. I think it might have been an early, like it was like its first screening ever. Sure. So I think it was 2016, October 2016 in Brooklyn. I, if someone knows better, correct me. That's I will I won't mind. Um, but it, it felt really early, and pretty soon after it played Beyond Fest, I think it got caught uh, got bought up by Shutter. And so hearing it got picked up by Shutter, I'm like perfect because that means yet another movie that just sort of played a festival that I don't see a lot of people talking about. It's gonna pop up on Shutter. People are gonna see it, and then it's gonna get the attention it deserves. And as far as I can tell, Doug, that did not fucking happen. I do not see people talking about it. I don't remember people talking about it in 2017 or 2018 when I think it came on Shutter. It just feels like the movie never got the shine it deserves. And it's not a perfect movie, but it's a movie that I think deserves at least more discussion than it got. Yeah, I do think it's anyway. We're going to get into it. I do think that Shutter has a few films like that where they were festival favorites. They go on to Shutter maybe with a little bit of fanfare when they first debut but then they just kind of no one really talks about it or no one really thinks about it we'll get into some of the reasons why that might be 
uh, when we talk about the movie proper. Uh, Before we take our break, I just want to talk about why I chose Bad Black. Uh, We've talked a little bit already about that this is a Ghanaian film. Uh, You know, the the film scene in Wakaliwood, probably best exemplified by Who Killed Captain Alex, was a film that made somewhat of a splash uh, back in the, uh, like, around 2011, 2012 era. I covered that film on my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, years and years ago. And it really does envelop the sort of independent DIY spirit that we really like to celebrate on that show. This really is my wheelhouse, is these kind of micro-budget pieces of, you know, outsider art to a certain extent. But it's also a very unique method of movie making. You know, it comes from a part of the world that when you watch these films, you're feeling a really sense of the place in which these movies were made and where the, the people who made them came from. And there really is an enthusiasm behind it that really is unmatched, I think, in a lot of the other movies that we've covered on Cinema Smorgasbord podcast generally. I had not seen Bad Black. I do remember when it showed at TIFF, it might have been its world premiere at TIFF, where they actually flew the filmmakers in, which was a big deal at that time, if I remember correctly. And I hate to be wrong about this. I don't think any of the filmmakers had been on a plane before at that point. So, I mean, it was a it was a big deal and it was meant to be a big celebration. Um, but I had not seen it at that festival and was not able to see it. It took a while for it to come out on uh, on a home format afterwards so this was a a, you know me kind of revisiting a lot of my thoughts on who killed captain alex and there's a lot of similarities not only the director and some of the performers but even the tone of bad black but also i'd already been introduced to the idea of the video joker and what this was going to look like so in some ways it probably would have taken a little more to impress me or to to get me kind of uh, uh connected to the material here but we'll find out if it worked for me or not cold hell and Bad Black at the 2017 Beyond Film Festival. Liam, let us take a break. When we return, let's talk about it. Bad Black. Ramon Film Productions, Uganda. Home of the best of the best movies. Kapana, Uganda. Super fire! This is Swaz. Swaz means Schwarzenegger. Uganda Schwarzenegger! Swaz! The movie's on! America's best action star. Super warrior. Wesley Snipes. A Kung Fu Monster. Bruce Willis. Zoe Ball. And Bad Black. Bad Black. A mild-mannered doctor is trained in the art of ass-kicking commando vengeance by a no-nonsense kid named Wesley Snipes. It's 2016's Bad Black, directed by Nabwana IGG, director of 2010's Who Killed Captain Alex and 2014's Crazy World, as well as a number of other films that unfortunately have not been uh, released uh, commonly or easily in the West, written by Nabwana IGG, as well as Alan Hoffmanis, who uh, produced a number of Wakaliwood films, as well as the documentary Wakaliwood The Documentary. Uh, and he's been, you know, really deep in the Ugandan film industry. I think he had seen Who Killed Captain Alex or maybe an earlier film and was so intrigued that he actually went to Uganda to find out more about the process and to uh, support the filmmaking that was going on there. And I think it was really kind of crucial in getting it out to the rest of the world, letting other people be exposed to it. Uh, it, it I mean, he's really listed as the first American to visit with Hollywood. And yeah, he's one of the stars of this movie as well. Uh, he's a, the founder of Ramon Film Productions International with Nabwana IGG. Uh, I won't go through the cast name, mostly because I'd be embarrassed in how much I'd be mispronouncing them. But as I said before, some of the uh, actors in this also appeared in Who Killed Captain Alex, uh, which is, again, a film that I very strongly recommend that you check out. And you can easily do so. It's available in lots of different ways. Uh, Liam, we already know that you've covered both this and Who Killed Captain Alex on an episode of Cinepunks before. What did you think of Bad Black? 
What's great, Doug, is that this gave me a reason to rewatch this movie. When I first watched it, I just watched, you know, there's a dual Blu-ray of Who Killed Captain Alex and Bad Black. Right. And so I just watched it in a row. And watching both movies together, it's a lot of the video DJ, uh, or, or sorry, the video Joker. It's a lot of the um, of the sort of vibes, which is uh, to give people an idea. These Wakaliman movies, at least the two that I, that I think are more widely available, combine very dark things with a very cutting and witty gallows humor. Yes. And so, at some of the most awful points of the movie the VJ is making jokes. And if you're willing to accept those jokes, then they are fucking hilarious. But it's hard. It's hard to get in that mode. And so I think the first time I saw it, I thought, you know, Bad Black's okay, but, you know, who killed Captain Alex? That's where it's at. The production values are so high. There's so much going on. I love the fake helicopter. Everything's great about about who killed Captain Alex. On rewatch, because I knew what I was getting, I wasn't in some sort of shock, and I was more aware of what the plot was so i was able to listen and focus more on the shtick of the vj the video sure, joker right uh i liked this movie a lot more and i and i really think it's really great if if you can vibe with what it is which i mean i just have to acknowledge though uh you know i'll i'll, I'll pass judgment on this perspective later i do have to acknowledge that this format in and of itself is hard for American audiences, or even let's call them Western audiences, right? Sure. Our idea of movies, and of course, this isn't everyone's idea of movies. There are plenty of people who watch movies on their phone or who watch movies while they're posting on Twitter or whatever the fuck. Yeah, distracted in some way. But people who like movies who don't think that's how they should watch movies expect to experience movies in a quiet, serene space <laughs> where we only laugh at appropriate times and nothing out of... T- and, and that's not real. In fact, I told the story on Cinepunks. I'll tell it briefly to you, Doug. The first time I saw Get Out, right? I saw it in a theater very close to my house and it was a very quiet room. And part of that was because as we left the theater, there were some white people who were loudly complaining about how racist they found Get Out, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but it was a very quiet room. So the next time some students from Lafayette, where I was working at the time, wanted to go see it, one of them said, we should go to Allentown. And I knew exactly what they meant. And I said, yes, we should go to Allentown. And so we went with a bunch of students and staff to Allentown to see the movie. Which meant what, is we, that, what does that mean, by the way? Oh, I'm, I'm getting there, Doug. Which oh, okay. meant we were in a room of almost entirely black and brown people. Almost entirely. Which means, Doug, people were responding to the movie. There was none of this, I need to sit quietly and not sure. say anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was loud motherfuckers. Loud, don't go the fuck in there. Loud, what are you doing right now? It was magical. And the reality for me is, I get that for certain movies, for example, I don't like this movie, but I love that A Quiet Place made like almost every audience shut the fuck up because that's what that movie is. It's like yeah. we're we're all being quiet because we're all really fucking anxious that we're going to be hurt and be murdered. But for a movie like Get Out, seeing it with a bunch of people who were responding to the movie made it more fun for me. I enjoyed the movie more. With this movie, there's a tradition of this Video Joker responding to the movie. Now, where did that come from? What's the history of that, Doug? Do you have any sort of idea? I don't. I wonder if it... it, it... The thing is, it, how it's worked in this movie is a little different than Who Killed Captain Alex because sure. I don't think that this plot would necessarily make 
sense without the video joker explaining certain things I agree. it's used to fill in some of the holes that maybe you know for whatever reason so whether... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what i was told right what 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 the colloquial history is but i did a ton of research when we did this episode of cinepunks to try to back up this story sure. and i have no evidence that this is true but in theory uh, there was a time when film prints would come to Uganda and other parts of Africa, and the movies would not be translated because they wouldn't have subtitles in the local right. language. Mm-hmm. And so the the role of the the announcer, I don't know if they were called a, a video joker at the time, was to like basically explain what was going on in the language, and that often they would not really know what was going right, on. So and so they were just, their own stuff. just yeah, making yeah. the shit up and it became a way to perform and crack jokes. That feels real to me. And I definitely heard that from AGFA people at Fantastic Fest. But I thought, okay, well, that's what I heard at Fantastic Fest from people about these movies. Let me do the research to back that up. I could find no documented history of this. Sure. So take this with a grain of salt. The point is, at least when it comes to these Hollywood movies, of which there were many before this movie, these movies broke out, this is the tradition. This is what they do. And for me, knowing that that's the tradition, that's the context, it works for me, Doug. I think it's hilarious. It adds to the story. It fucking... And and the way that it functions the most that I really like is it makes some of the darker parts of the story that are, I think, reflective of the context they're in. So there's... Let's talk about one of the most upsetting jokes in the movie. Sure. The National Dance of Uganda. Mm -hmm. Remember when he describes what the National Dance of Uganda is? Yes. For those of you who haven't seen Bad Black, there's a moment where a man is being riddled with so many bullets yeah. that he's shaking. And the VJ describes it as the National Dance of Uganda. Now, that is in poor taste, right? You could just say, like, well, that's a rough joke. But I think it's worth noting when Who Made Captain Alex, who made, when Who Killed Captain Alex was made, it was in the midst of a bloody revolution just a few miles down the road in the capital. In fact, mm-hmm. things were so tense that the, the the cast and crew of Who Killed Captain Alex were questioned multiple times because when they were seen filming with these fake guns, people thought they were revolutionaries. Right. I think in a context so riddled with violence and such that people just know the term commando and have a whole idea of what it Absolutely. means in society, then like they're allowed to deal with that trauma however they want. And the fact that death's head humor or gallows humor is one of the ways that they're dealing with this dark history, I think it's fucking magical. Like I, I actually think these movies represent one way of dealing with and processing trauma. Absolutely. And are 100%. also very entertaining and fun. And the fact that they managed to both remind you of, I mean, this is a class movie. Like in the movie, they make it really clear that there is a part of their town called the ghetto. That's how they refer to it, which sure. basically is like the favela or whatever equivalent you want to make. It's the it's the place where people are living living on the edge. At one moment, two guys fighting knock over a plate full of fruit, and this woman loses her shit because that was all of her money was yeah. in selling this fruit, and they, she doesn't know how they're going to eat that night. Like the the idea of of the the poverty, the 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 presence of death and violence, the violence against women, all this stuff is presented to you straightforward and the stuff that's happening isn't funny right at no point is it like ha it's funny that that this kid died but in the context of knowing kid death is possible the video joker is going to make a joke and half the time that joke is going to be both funny and kind of not funny because he's like poking at something that actually hurts 
You know sure, what I'm sure, saying? Sure. And yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. one way of dealing with that darkness. And I think it's brilliant, even though, you know, it, it might be distracting on first watch having this guy talk over the whole fucking movie. Liam, I have two questions for you. Please. The first is when you saw Get Out in Allentown. Yes. And the police car pulls up at the end of the movie. How much tension was there? And what was the reaction when the door opened and that person came out? When it first pulls up, there were groans. Yeah. Uh, I literally heard a woman start audibly crying, like weeping. And a bunch of people started to boo slightly under their breath. Mm -hmm. When he got out, people jumped in the fucking air. (laughs) I heard one person just yell over and over again, I know that's right. Over and over again, just yep. fucking stoked. It was magical, and like at one point, I actually had a brief conversation with someone who asked the question. And usually, when people are talking, they're just responding to the movie, and it doesn't bum me out at all. As long as I can hear, and in this theater, I could hear the. Di- it was so fucking loud in there. Sure, yeah. I could hear the dialogue, even as I heard people responding to it. But this now, what is that about? And it was just a moment, and I just leaned out and said, "Okay, see what's going on there." It's about they're like, oh, God, thank you. That really helps. And I thought, I would never do that in the suburbs. I just wouldn't. Right. I would just mm-hmm. leave it alone. But I was like, she actually wants someone to respond. So I'm going to respond. And it was very helpful to her. And I just, I like that. Now, granted, I, I think context matters. And I get that there are people listening right now who would be fucking horrified if they could even hear one of their audience members chewing, let alone yeah. saying something yeah. out loud. Yeah. But like, and don't get me wrong. Have I been in context where I've been the opposite and I've yelled at people? Oh, yes, Doug. I have been the fucking theater fascist who turned around on a bunch of fucking college kids and was like, y'all need to shut the fuck up or leave. And uh, they did not like that. They didn't say anything, though, but they did not. I could tell they were very sad. But uh, it was a very sad, quiet movie, and they were loudly making fun of it. And I was like, no, no, no. That's not the sort of talking we will have in this theater right now. So, uh, you know, I I could go the other direction. But I think, like, there is a response to movies that is uh, appropriate. And I think we all kind of know that because if you put on a movie at a party with your friends, you don't go, everyone shut the fuck up. The movie's on. Yeah, you know? right, right, that's right. Yeah. You do. And that's actually something that probably doesn't go acknowledged within our group of friends and through, you know, our social media that we're on. The idea that there are different ways to appreciate movies and there's different ways to watch movies and that they're valid in different ways i do think that when you're looking at something through a critical eye that you need to have a certain amount of attention paid to the screen oh Uh, 100 100 just like i think we're probably both in agreement this is something that was controversial somewhat recently that i don't think that you i don't think that you should review a movie in any sort of capacity unless you've watched the whole thing right i Um, I agree i mean at least can i say though doug i would say that at least for if you're being paid, if you have a personal thing like a letterbox and you're like, I started this movie and I couldn't finish it. If you say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, absolutely. That's, that's totally fine. fine. That's totally fine. But the fact that there are people taking home motherfucking paychecks who didn't finish a movie, that person needs to be fired. That's not okay. That's You didn't do your job. To me, I've always considered it that's an agreement that you have with the creators of the movie, which is that you buy an opinion. You buy the right to have an opinion by watching the entire movie. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, you could have an opinion about a part of the movie, but it's not, you don't know what that movie is until you've seen it all. I don't know. It felt like it was a controversial statement just a while ago. Anyway, just going back to what you said, Liam, and I just got to bring up this anecdote very quickly since it was a very uh, important moment for my life. Uh, you know, I grew up in Newfoundland. I bring it up all the time. I, it was, it's not the most diverse place in the world. This I might shock and surprise you, Liam. Uh, when I turned 
21. Uh, I took my first trip outside of the province, uh, like a, first on a plane, and I went to Boston and I went to New York City. I went to New York City on the evening that the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie premiered. Oh, wow. Okay. And we were taken to, by the people that we were staying with, taken to a movie theater that was exclusively, uh, had, had a black audience there. And I had never, I, you know what, probably in, up to that point in my life, in all the movie theaters I'd been into, maybe I'd see you know, a black person or, uh, I mean, there's so little diversity in the, in, in much more so now, but certainly when I was growing up in Newfoundland. So this was a crowd that I was very intimidated by, you know, when I first sat down, I was like, wow, this is like a very different, cause everyone was very, you know, loud and raucous and was having a good time. It was probably the greatest cinematic experience I've ever had. <laughs> People were losing it the entire movie. They were having such, it was a midnight screening too, by the way. It was, sure, it was sure. quite something. Um, and it just, it just, to me, it's like nothing can can replace that, but it's different, right? Well, and but, it's not like you can't have a shitty experience. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah, romanticize exactly. this. But at that, all. Actually, so that but, goes right into my second question for you, yeah. which is that these movies, Who Killed Captain Alex, and uh, maybe to a lesser extent, Bad Black, they're movies that are they're action movies, right? And yeah, they're yeah. they're a little silly at their core anyway, not because of how they're made, but because of the subject matter. Even if they're serious moments, would a video Joker track audio track work? in a movie that's meant to just be serious all the way through. I don't think so. I think I think um I think the 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 people who made these movies are in my mind very smart about what they're doing and they understand the ways that the video joker can add to the movie, right? Right. And there are plenty of moments where the video it's not I make it sound like he talks through the whole movie. He doesn't talk through the whole fucking nope. movie. There are moments when he's not talking, but it feels like every time he is it's it improves it for me. It it just l- really does. I think the 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 issue I even the reason I even bring it up is because of actual reviews where people are like, "This is unwatchable because of the video Joker," and I just think like you just got to open your mind a little bit and take this in as part of the art that this wasn't unintentional. It's not like the director made the movie and said, then I just give it to this guy. I don't know. And he just comes up with shit and who knows what he says. Like this is part of the making of the movie. And I think it really adds something to it. But do I think it could work in every context? I don't think it could, but again, I'm also, this is a limited, that's the other deal here, Doug. Right. We have two movies to base yeah, exactly. any of this off of, and those two movies are fucking great, but that doesn't mean the medium will work in every context, or that there aren't examples somewhere of these movies where you're like, this particular video Joker sucks, and he needs to shut up. That that could happen. I don't know. I just don't have that experience. The video joker in this case, uh, I think his name is Emmy, and he's also the same video joker for Who Killed Captain Alex, and he is legitimately clever and funny. So good. Um, and, and you know, I don't know how much of it is off the cuff. I don't know how much of it is rehearsed. It feels <gasps> Captain, very... Captain Alex is alive. Because <laughs> the oh, actor from he, Who oh, Killed he's Captain dead. Alex... He's dead. <laughs> he's dead. That's how he died. <laughs> Just, I mean, really, really funny stuff. Um, this doctor needs borders is the best line <laughs> in the history of cinema. The The... But but as you've already said, there are moments in this movie, including a scene where a child is murdered, that are very serious. And I think he actually generally lets those moments play out and Agreed. doesn't necessarily undercut them. Uh, but and as I already mentioned as well, there are things unexplained in this movie 
that the VJ really helps. Like he helps just right, remind yeah. us this is the character from earlier. Maybe he goes a little too far in explaining it, but that's I think part of his role as well. You know, it's good for someone to be able to, to remind us, hey, remember Swazi from the beginning, Schwarzenegger? I also, by the way, the part where he's listing off all the different action heroes and he's he mentions Bill Murray. <laughs> it's so good. But then he <laughs> this is what I love about it. He does it, he makes the Bill Murray joke, and you're like, okay, that was the whole thing was a lead up to the Bill Murray joke. We're done. Then he keeps going. And he mentions Zoe Bell. And yeah. I'm like, how is the video Joker more open-minded than most like action people in the U.S. or across the world? He's like, oh, got to include a woman, Zoe Bell. There we go. <laughs> uh, Liam, I want to – one thing that we haven't really talked about sure. uh, is – but probably is obvious to anyone listening – is that these movies are incredibly cheap. Right, I mean, two hundred dollars. Yeah, and in fact, in some places, it's been quoted as even less than that. Who knows what, like post production and things like. Well, that. Well, I think but this they, movie was their big budget two hundred dollar movie. That's yeah. like they had some money now. In the in the special features, they point out that they now have two laptops, so that it's easier for them not to lose the movie. And these are movies that are, you know, there's a lot of technical issues with them because they're shot on video. Sometimes, you know, they, there are things where, like, the the lens isn't clean sometimes throughout it. There's obviously a lot of amateur acting, all that sort of stuff. This is very common in micro-budget cinema. As I said before, I have a podcast that was devoted entirely to micro-budget cinema. Did you have difficulty when you're watching some something like this adjusting to the low production values? And does it help the fact that... It's from a place that you don't see a lot of movies from. Well, I think knowing a bit about this is a production of the, it, it, this is a weird thing, Doug, because a lot of micro budget cinema is the will of one person. One crazy person is going to push so hard to get their vision through the door. And that is right. a little bit of this that it's like not just one person, but it's a couple of people. But then when they make it, they involve the whole community that everyone is it, it plays a part in some ways and even at multiple points when they're filming it people in the community gather around to just sort of watch what's yeah, happening absolutely and that aspect of it where it's both okay these couple of people are so committed that they're going to make it happen come hell or high water but then the way that they do that is to involve as many people as they can and the whole community feels invested in what's happening like it's like some sort of form of widespread community theater all of that to me is inspiring but these movies could be bad and i'll be honest the reason i didn't watch them until we did it for cinepunks even though i had this blu-ray for a while i had this deep fear doug that they were gonna suck and i knew the story and i'm like it's so inspiring the folks in this community with no money and just the will to make it happen band together to make these movies and that these movies are very important to them but also are so ephemeral right one of the things we think about with movies is movies are product and product has to make money and so no matter how good your movie is if it doesn't make money it sucks and this community made these movies for years and then after everyone sold the movie they just fucking erased the movie yeah so that they were they just, could make they were a just new to be shown movie. in their community right just yeah. to be enjoyed there, there, yeah. There's something about all of that that is so inspiring and it's such a different paradigm for understanding film as like a cultural artifact that I didn't want to then watch it and be like, this fucking blows, man. Like I didn't want that experience. And when 
when some really we did that i think we did the wakaliwood episode because of a request from someone on patreon uh and so we were like okay we're gonna do this and hopefully we like these things finding that not only is it this whole inspiring story but then the movies are fun and entertaining i was like it's fucking magic it's fucking unbelievable and going in yeah i knew that the special effects weren't going to be great but again i i knew that and what's weird is as silly as some, especially in Who Killed Captain Alex, there's some real <laughs> moments of pushing what you're willing to watch. But here's the thing. I've seen movies made for a mill that had special effects that I thought someone should be fired. You know yeah. what I mean? And this was made for like $200. Get yeah. out of here, man. When you, the thing is, the knowledge of how it was made is part of the enjoyment, right? And sure. I think yeah. they reinforce that because the movie starts with a little introduction, right? It has that little bit where it shows them filming against a green screen and the person jumping down and they're having fun. Like, and like, as you said, the whole community is watching. I do think that it's, even though there's a part of me that thinks that you should be able to watch a movie without the context of how it was made and that is how you should judge it. A lot of the rules go out the window when you're talking about a movie and micro-budget movies in general where the making of it is part of the process. I used to say on No Budget Nightmares all the time, this little rant that I was kind of, known for that I can't I can't go along with the idea of people who are very against digital video and digital filmmaking because to me it, it created a democratization of the filmmaking process right it meant that it could be in the hands of anybody who wanted to make a movie and I also made the statement that some people got mad about which is that everybody should make a movie right everyone has the tools to do it you should do it because not only do you learn a better appreciation of the filmmaking process but also it's 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 it takes so many people to do it you have to get so many people on board it just is a great tool to know for the rest of your life in terms of getting people together and getting your vision from your brain to some other medium and i really think that there's a, it's a real testament to the enthusiasm and the commitment of the people involved here but that does lead into one other point liam and i don't know if this never really entered my mind watching it before but it comes from another uh another part of africa that has a uh, a thriving and growing movie business, which is Nollywood, right? The Nigerian film industry. Sure, right. And the way that Western audiences have taken to that, sometimes I feel like it's... Sometimes I feel like it's designed strictly for American audiences to mock the production value, to mock the acting, to mock the plots. Like, it only exists to be mocked, you know what I mean? And sure. that is a concern that I have a little bit with this as well, that instead of like celebrating it and being like, look at how much creativity and talent is on display here, that there are people who watch this just to laugh at, look at these silly Ugandans, they don't know how to make a movie. Do you think that that's a worthwhile concern? Or am I just being silly? I honestly would have the same concern if this movie had actually gotten the popularity it deserves, because sure. the reality is people watch everything that way. We're at a point, Doug, where I've been to screenings of Total Recall where half the audience was sarcastically and ironically laughing at the movie. You know, I've been to screenings of like films that I think of as almost like art films and people were like, ah, look at this dumb bullshit and start yeah. yelling jokes at the screen. Mm -hmm. So in a culture like that, of course you run that risk. You add on to that anti-blackness, right? There's going to be a bunch of people who that's how they interact with all black culture. They That's how they listen to hip hop. That's how they watch 
uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, African American shows and movies, it's always with an element of "look at this." Oh man, it's it's this automatic sort of tinge of negativity. All of that is in the water. But the reality for me, though, Doug, is that these did not have the splash outside of the film nerd community that you would think. And right. the reviews I've read of the dorks who've seen this movie, almost everyone has the same reaction I did of like. Wow, I was not expecting these movies to be this effective. Now, I think the layer of cultural criticism that's actually happening in these movies that maybe gets obscured by how silly they are, that's not often picked up on. And there sure. might be an element of that of people underestimate how well being silly can also involve commentary, right? But I think that goes for almost all foreign films or films exactly. that come from a different 100%. I mean, I think that, that even goes for Cold Hell, which we'll be talking about in just a little I bit. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I 100%. But all I'm saying is that is an element, and so some people might still read very positive reviews and go, okay, but it's not just silly. And I agree. It isn't just silly. I don't think either of these movies are only silly. I think they are a silly thing that is very real about the conditions in which they live, sometimes in a very silly way. When my man falls in the Ditch, and the and the VJ wants you to know that he's covered in poo. <laughs> That's hilarious. But also, some part of you should go, "Oh fuck, right? Plumbing is an issue." Yeah. God damn it. You know that that should be a reminder of something that's real. But the movie doesn't have to hide that for you because you're feeling bad about it. That's part of the reality that they're in. And and so like I I think. I think there's always a danger of someone taking something like this and using it as fodder to laugh at. But and 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 uh, again, going back to what I said before, maybe part of the reason I didn't want to watch it was that I thought that would be the vibe. We're laughing at these motherfuckers because it's all stupid. But like, it's so weird to me. Like, who killed Captain Alex? Never answers its own question. And I never cared. The movie ended, and I was like, oh, that's great. That was a great fucking movie. And no part of me was like, wait a minute. Who did kill fucking Captain Alex? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I just think there's so much value to this that uh, it, it. I think most people who are going in in good faith, even if they have their own biases at play, will see the value in the movie. But whenever you create anything, Doug, there's a danger that it's going to become ironic or it's going to become racistly ironic or it's going to become something else. I mean, both movies deal with gender themes. That could become an issue for people. You know what I mean? There's there's all this stuff here, especially because whenever something is in, in my, you know, entrenched in a culture that has its own sort of uh, complications going on, there's always stuff that could be misinterpreted or misunderstood. You know, it's funny. We haven't really been talking about the movie in any like the actual plot. That's or true. The, Sorry, y'all. You know, we should we should have done that. I mean, but the thing is, it's there's a lot in this movie that's ludicrous, right? And and purposely so. Uh, it opens with an action sequence where a guy robs a bank, and there's a child involved, and there's some you know really ridiculous special effects that right. are also when, when he breaks the glass when he says he needs a key, and then he takes out a <laughs> hammer and smashes the glass, and the video uh, uh, Joker goes. Ah, uh, Ugandan key. <laughs> so good. I also love that that wall is just cardboard, right? And there's like a little piece of glass yeah. that's been put yeah. in there. Yeah, I mean, it's the best special. I mean, it's special effects for a bunch of normal people to have you smash glass with a hammer. That right. could have gone terribly wrong. And sure. he did it, and it worked. It was great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of that in this. Just like how you, you come up with the concept first, right? And I, I've been involved with some micro-budget uh, films, and I know exactly how that works, where it's just like, okay... He's going to be in a car. There's going to be a car chase. The car is going to flip over. 
Then it has to set on fire and then it has to explode. Well, how are you going to do that? You don't have any money. And it's just like, well, we can do these like particle effects. We can take, we can make a little model. We can flip the model. We can shoot it on a green screen. And they put all the pieces together. And look, it's not convincing in the way that a <laughs> fucking blockbuster movie, it, but it does the job. You know exactly what's happening there and it works perfectly well. Again, it's it, there's, in some ways in my brain, I'm always like, do you prefer uh, a few great looking effects or a lot of <laughs> shitty looking effects. And sometimes I'll take the lot of shitty as long as they're consistently shitty. I hear that. I hear that. So I don't really want to go into the plot too much, to be totally honest. It's also a pretty short movie, so it's very easy to watch. And we have the video Joker explaining it. I will say that the ending of this movie, because <laughs> again, this is my first time watching it. It bowled me over. I was like, what? And I, I, the biggest laugh I had in the entire movie was like the last thing the video Joker says where he's like, he's just like, that like that doesn't make any sense. He's like, what? And then it just ends. <laughs> Where you find out that that black herself, that her mother. Well, anyway, I don't want to give that away either. Liam, any final thoughts about Bad Black? I mean, everyone has their own sort of tolerance for micro budget, for bad special effects, for acting that ranges from over the top to barely present. You know, uh, but for me, the creativity and and the joy that people bring to being in this movie no one is here because they just felt like they had to be right sure no one is on screen going i don't know i i don't even want to be fucking doing this right now everybody seems like they want to be in this movie and i i find it totally fun and engaging while also occasionally being struck by how real it is yeah. and how insightful it is on certain things. You know, on some of our other shows, we watch a lot of movies that have been called exploitation, And and for a lot of, there's a lot of interpretations in that. But there's something here where you see people, you know, there is a put on a show atmosphere, obviously. But also, no one, it doesn't feel like anyone is being exploited, right? It very much is a, we are telling a story. These are the people who are, you know, willing to put that work in. Here's some of the very athletic people that we know who maybe they love kung fu movies. maybe they, and, and there's lots of really amazing athletic uh, performances in this movie and in uh, Who Killed Captain Alex. So you see a lot of people with all these talents on display. Really, it's, it's inspiring. Uh, and I think that's maybe the, the feeling that I most take away from these movies. It's just like the Ugandan film community uh, and the people involved with this are out there making movies. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from going out, getting people together and doing the same thing? You have a lot more resources than they have, and they've made something great. And then then I go, Liam, and watch a shitload of micro-budget movies made in Canada and the U.S., and they're absolute fucking garbage. They're just trying to be Halloween on a $20 budget. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, that's a big aspect, too. Like... But it's not just that these are crazy. There's a certain ingenuity to make this shit work, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. Well, obviously, this is going to be the superior movie. I don't really think we need to talk about Cold Hell, but let us take another break. <laughs> when we return, you, Liam, are going to introduce us to this fancy movie of yours, 2017's Cold Hell. Yes, A vicious serial killer is targeting prostitutes in Vienna, Austria. 
a tough young woman from Turkey who works as a taxi driver, witnesses one of the murders and becomes a target. The police are of no help. Big surprise there. So she must stop him herself. It's 2017's Cold Hell from director uh, Stefan Ruzowitzki, as Austrian director, directed 1998's The Inheritors, 2007's The Counterfeiters, as well as 2018's Patient Zero, which featured Matt Smith, Stanley Tucci, and Natalie Dormer. Uh, writing credits, we have Martin Ambrose and Claudia Colland, starring Violetta Sherlau as our uh, main character, Osge Dugral, which is not any easier to say, uh, Tobias Moretti, <laughs> Robert Palfreder, Sammy Sheik. I mean, these are probably people. I don't know that there's a lot of people in this I recognize, so I, I'd be surprised if y'all knew them. So, Cold Hell, this is, like I said uh, in the pre thing, this is a movie I caught and that kind of went away. And so I was excited not just to see if you liked it, Doug, but to, uh, you know, return to it myself and see if it still was exciting, as exciting for me as it was when I first saw it. Um, and I'm kind of worried about the way that this kind of went away and 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 it doesn't seem to have the cultural impact i think it should but before i go on about the ways that i think this movie is underappreciated i want to get your read on this film doug because i knew that you didn't maybe you had heard of it but you had not seen this film before i picked it i don't think i'd ever even heard of it in fact when you told me the title i probably confused it with at least another three movies that have cold in the title right um, yeah and and that is one of the difficulties with this movie uh, is that is that it has a kind of a generic title. It's one that makes sense in the context of the movie once you've seen it, but it, it it's hard to, for me anyway, to even bring back in memory. Then again, Bad Black isn't that easy to remember, I suppose, either. But I mean, it, it, it is a movie that I did, I'm sure I heard people talking about it when it came out in 2017 because I was, I'm so terminally online. And I probably heard a lot of people speak positively about it, but it's one of those movies that it goes onto a streaming service, even a great one like Shudder, and it just falls into the background. And people have not really talked about it to any great extent since, at least in, in my circle. So to me, I was coming into it very cold. <laughs> um, and I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it had a female lead. Uh, I knew it was kind of a slashery type movie. But a lot of it took me completely by surprise. And I have to say, I really loved it. I really thought it was a superior horror movie that treads into some really tricky territory. Like, and that is the thing that I'm really going to remember about this movie is that it's dealing with things that with a less capable um, actress at its core, with a less capable director and with less capable writers, this could be so clunky and offensive. It could really easily be offensive. At the time that we're recording this, uh, it might be old news by the time you're hearing it, Salman Rushdie has just been stabbed and on stage as you know a continuation of the very famous fatwa against him after the publish uh him publishing the satanic verses and um and the, the idea of islamic uh and islamophobia is very much uh, islamic violence i should say and islamophobia is very much in the news again and this is a movie that in some way does tangle with that idea as well and i think it tangles with it even though it, it could easily go on to something very exploitative i think it tangles with it as intelligently and as sensitively as I could hope for out of a movie like this, and I hope that most people watching it would feel the same way, but even outside of that, it's just an incredibly tense, well-acted, and well-structured movie. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting how many difficult themes we're dealing with um... – Islamophobia. We're dealing with violence within the Islamic community. We're dealing with um, ideas about women 
in a few different directions from the patriarchal elements of the Muslim community in which our main character participates, but also from the patriarchal community of Vienna and the Mm -hmm. judgment that people have on that the white community has on women who are in other communities uh, within MMA, the uh, patriarchal elements therein, absolutely ideas around sex and sexuality, um, ideas of xenophobia and racism. Um, religious zealotry and and really <laughs> the uselessness of cops. Yeah, how utterly unhelpful police are, uh, and really like for our main character, this idea of of the pressures on her to conform and the pressures on her to not change at all, and how yeah. neither one of these are are good options. It's uh, you know, I, not to get too like weirdly theoretical, but I don't know if you've ever read any Homie Baba. Have you ever no. read any Homie? Uh, Homie Baba was a theorist who came up with the idea of hybridity, that in uh, uh, colonial communities that there are these hybrid figures who are um, un- unavoidably affected by the colonial subject who shows up, but also are not fully able to let go of their identity within the indigenous community. And so they become this person who is a weird mixture of these things. And this is a new identity that doesn't have to be parsed. So like our, our tendency is to say, Oh, well this identity is somehow not pure, right? It's partly sure. this and partly mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So it's neither thing. And homie Baba as a theorist was trying to say like, these interactions have already happened. So we can't put the genie back in the bottle and they have created identities that are as that are real. They're real identities. Right. So you mm-hmm. can't just say this isn't authentic, right? Who she is is a Turkish person living in Vienna who wants to stay uh, part of the Muslim community but can't just be something she's not either. Right. And so that's what the movie's about, how she there's no help from her family or the people she knows. There's no help from the systems that are set up that don't value her because she's an immigrant and because she's a woman, right? And within these structures and and systems, it's really easy for a uh, misogynist predator to float around and murder women for whatever reasons they want. And honestly, you could take his ability to manipulate the Western culture to enact his own ideas as similar to any number of extremist organizations. Like I I hear all the time, all these Western subjects complain about Saudi Arabia Mm -hmm. and I'm like, they're in power because you paid for it. Like you helped this, all these people that you're so worried about because they're so extreme, they won out because they were anti-communist and you funded them because they were anti-communist. And now you're freaked out by them, which is like, also true of the white nationalists in this country as well. So anyways, we, we could go on a whole political tangent about it. But the point is, in the context of the movie, what I found interesting that I wanted to bring up with you, Doug, is something you already mentioned, which is, at heart, this is a horror movie, but there are so many, so many other uh, genre elements. I almost found myself wondering, does, is this even a horror movie, or is this a itself a hybridized genre of a number of different things? What do you think about that? I movie? mean, the great horror movies do tend to tangle with other genres. That's fair. That's fair. Extent, That's fair. Right? And I think at its core, this is about a woman being hunted by a serial killer. And I mean, that that is what this movie is. It's a slasher movie, but a slasher movie doesn't have to be one thing. And it doesn't have to bring the mind just the, the most base versions of what that is. Uh, this is a very stylish movie, but I mean, at its, it, even though it does deal with the immigrant experience in Austria, uh, even though it deals with familial uh, um, trauma and and sexual abuse. Oh, yeah. Pedophilia. All kinds of shit. All sorts of shit. But 
all of that is just to flesh out these characters and this main character in particular, but played by Violetta Shurlau, who's absolutely amazing in this. But don't you um, think some of the action and fighting elements are stronger than in a lot of other what I would consider slasher movies? Oh, you mean it's well made? Yeah, I do agree. With that. <laughs> <laughs> no, look that 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 the scene where she's attacked. Uh, in the taxi, which is is a showcase in yes. this, and is yes. unbelievable. I mean, when you consider, this is something that bothers me sometimes. Where you know how these days a movie can either be made for a hundred dollars or a hundred million dollars, and there's nothing in between yeah. that barely gets yeah. made. And the 100%. only movies that tend to be the exception to that are horror movies for the most part. And that, and it's just like, why can't everyone be making a movie as good as this one? It just takes the talent, right? It's not the money, but I mean that sequence is so kinetic and scary and well put together and you know it's not not this it it, you don't crash a thousand cars you just crash five in a way that makes it look all impactful it's just really extremely well done Mm -hmm. but no Mm -hmm. i mean yeah yeah you're right there are there are parts of this that you could almost excise from the movie her encounter with the uh, sexist assholes who won't move their car at the beginning of the movie her encounter with the mma guy and all how all that plays out uh i mean it it, those could be transplanted from a, like a domestic drama or or a movie just about the immigrant experience, the fact that they exist in this also really well done horror movie is really just a testament to the quality of the people yeah. making this movie. Well, I think also the other part I'm thinking of Doug is at a certain point he's revealed in public, which means yes, he doesn't feel comfortable fully being the slasher or the the hunter he thinks he is, and she then hunts him through this subway. Yeah, it is on one hand frustrating because you know. People on a train in Vienna aren't going to be like, yeah, just beat that dude up. This is this, this isn't a New York movie in which nope. she could get away, probably killing that guy before someone stepped in. In this movie, people are like, oh my god, stop hurting him, and they don't know that this guy boils people alive. They have yeah. no idea. They just see this crazy lady trying to elbow him literally to death, and it's sick. By the way, it is one of those horror movie things, though. Where, but also, I guess. It also reflective of the experience of what we know from her, where right, she's not yeah. willing to say stop him or I'm st- I'm trying to kill him because he's a murderer. She's not saying anything, but that's kind of part of her character as well. That she's she's extremely hesitant to trust anybody at all because of her life experience. You can see like that moment where she opens up even just a little bit after she has uh, yeah. sex with one of the characters. It's just like, that is like such a transformative moment in the context of the movie because you haven't seen her do that at all up to that point. I think it is perhaps, uh, yeah. I mean, basically it feels like it's a portrayal of PTSD, right? Yeah. That she just can't, trust people and it comes across as pure stubbornness but it's not really stubbornness it's a protection thing she's protecting herself yeah um this really made me think doug about how there aren't a ton of horror movies that look to the liminal space of the immigrant experience where you're Mm -hmm. sort of in between worlds and make horror out of it but it seems to me like a really fucking frightening place to be uh can you think of any other movies that utilize this cultural space so well uh and and am i correct that this is one of the best uses of of a particular community to tell a kind of story it's the one of the best that i've seen which isn't to say that it's the only one right i mean or or the only one that do it very well none are springing to mind right now yeah but i do want to bring up as well the idea that this movie this is a movie that is doesn't pretend that the world it exists in is different than our world meaning that so she is has no place to go and at one point in this movie she has a child with her and also has no place to go but she isn't 
she isn't just resigned to that. She ends up going to places, trying to find, say, a place to sleep, a place to be safe. And there's a part where she's sent to a shelter, right, for women who have been abused. And in other movies, they'd be like, you know, that's the social safety net that you have. You have a woman's shelter. And then the movie, if the movie doesn't say, look how terrible this place is, look how horrible all the people involved in, they just show the reality of it, which is that you're sort of a prisoner in those places. And then you right. are labeled in a certain way. And, you know, and she leaves. And there probably might be a part in the brain of some audience being like, well, why did she leave? She finally found a safe place. And she's like, that's not any safer. You know, it's just a different kind of prison for her. Just like the hospital is a different kind of prison to a certain extent. So, I mean, Even, it's... I think there are characters in other movies who could have figured out a way to be there. But it's also not in her character to say, yeah, we'll just stay here where I'm yeah. trapped. That yeah, sounds like exactly. a great idea. Right. And of course the cop is like, why didn't you stay there? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Because that's someone who was so ignorant to her lived experience right. that he can't even imagine someone who lives in this world different than himself. I mean, and then were... go ahead, Doug. Sorry. So I was going to say, and then the movie actually gives him a little bit of depth as well, yeah. just because it's, it's, it, it's not trying to be so incredibly one-sided. So much of the response he has to her, Doug, it, this seems like a weird adjustment, but I think you'll understand. It reminded me of when I worked with folks who lived on the street. And yeah. constantly I was interacting with people who were like, why don't they just go to this? Or why don't they just do that? And I'm like, you want someone who um, self-medicates all day long because it's so upsetting to be on the street that gets attacked by everyone they see, who's literally like a bunch of the people we worked with had learned to pee themselves as a way to keep people away so yeah. they wouldn't be beat up. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to go to a clean facility where half the people get beat up and robbed in the facility. Yeah. Like, why would they go there? Like the whole idea that like there's all these very good options for people who are in danger, whether that's homelessness, whether that's victims of domestic violence or mm -hmm. let's say intimate partner violence or or whatever else the situation of crisis is. Well, there's all these options for them. There aren't. There aren't all these options for them, actually. And in fact, most of the options are pretty terrible. I mean, if you listen to any era of Cinepunks before Josh got fired, you'll hear lots of stories about how the mental health in this country is not fucking helpful for most people. Yeah. And it's just a stopgap so that people don't feel like they have abandoned other people. But it's nothing there to really help you out. And so in this situation, that's what we're seeing. In Vienna, a country that, or a town in a country that seems like it has a pretty solid social safety that it's still hard for her to access partly from her own trauma but a lot because of who she is as an immigrant you know and that yeah. feeling of where is she supposed to go if she can't go to her family there's almost no options for her yeah yeah and there's a suspicion in the eyes of everyone that she yeah, encounters everyone anyway i mean not to bring it all up to to where i live and things like that but you know 10 cities are very common in the, sure. Yeah. And, and areas of, of people living in tents. And, you know, there's you hear people all the time. It's like, why would they want to do that? There's why don't they go to a shelter? Why don't they do this? And why don't they do that? It's just like I where I live in the downtown of Peterborough, Ontario, there's like a little alleyway next to where I live. And people go down there all the time to do drugs and whatever. It's their life. They're not bothering me. I'm not going to bother them. But the other reason a lot of people go there is to stash their belongings. Because 100%. there's no safe place to put the things that they have, no. the few things in this world. And I mean, how about how can how can I pretend to be able to understand the thought process of someone who can't even, you know, n know where their shirt is going to be, the one shirt that they might have, or a collection of shirts? They have to stash it somewhere to hide it, right? I mean, it's just it's just a whole different way of looking at the world. I mean, the number of people I worked with when I was working with those folks who had jobs, and the money from those jobs went to pay for 
a, a, a locker to keep their stuff yep. and a membership at the gym so they could take a shower. Shower, exactly. And then they didn't have any more money because we don't pay people enough. You know, they couldn't get like they couldn't even get uh, 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 higher paying jobs anyway because of the limitations on having an ID, having an address, all that shit. So whatever. I, we could go on and on about the social aspects of this. <laughs> We're getting away from it. But I like the idea that this movie is willing to tackle yes. you know, th- th- these issues, but also these experiences that just are, would never normally be shown in a, in a horror film. Well, the other thing I know that you are both knowledgeable about and passionate about is the religion of Islam. So you want to take some time, Doug, and give us your expert opinion on the Muslim themes in the film. Well, I do have some personal experience with it. Oh, I didn't know that. I just was trying to – I figured, what's the one thing I could make one of my whitest friends in the world uncomfortable? Ask them to explain all of the Muslim themes in this movie, of which there are a lot and I think are actually very well handled. But I think you were right earlier when you said this film really walks a line and it could fall over any one side and somehow manages not to. I thankfully, through my wife in particular, uh, she has a, a number of, of friends. Actually, at, at, because she has such an interest in different languages, she was learning Arabic from some Muslim friends, and there was a lot of kind of uh, cultural um, exchange, right? So, you know, sure, about food yeah. in particular, you know, things that, but also because a lot of them were students, because we have a large uh, university population here in Peterborough, uh, you know, they were being exposed to certain freedoms for the first time. Um, because they, they would tend to come from countries like Iran or Saudi Arabia. And, and then you would get a real unique perspective, right? And of course, these were also tended to be wealthier people from those countries, right? Because they were coming to here. Or sometimes it's just that their parents had saved up an incredible amount to get them to come uh, to here to go to university. But I mean, we got a whole lot of different experiences. And it gave me a real appreciation for their not only their religious perspectives, of course, but also just for their life perspective and how their view of what uh canadian day-to-day life was like it it's it, it gave me an ability to see it through someone's eyes that had such a different experience that is something i did not see on a regular basis um but i and i did get some insight you know to uh religious ceremonies and weddings and things like that uh, in those communities that said in this movie the the one that's kind of clearest on display is the way that her family structure works and where she exists in that family structure and her relationship with her parents. The way that these families are structured make the outsiders in this movie question, why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? When it's something that's basically been um, part of how they think about the world since their entire lives. I think that's fair, Doug. I think it's, it is, the movie wants to be honest about something, which is how... Um, the other thing to keep in mind is because of the ostracization of this culture within the larger Vienna culture. There's and no... Austriaization. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good good point. Um, there's nowhere for her to go. If this was a Catholic family. That, oh, that's a, it, this is a very good point. It, it might be easier for her to like talk to people about it, right? But because there is this bias and this, uh, you know, uh, Islamophobia against uh, this community, it's harder for her to open up about what's going on. And it's harder for her. She probably didn't have the people to turn to um, both within and outside her community. And so the movie tries to make it clear that that's not somehow more endemic in her community than other communities, right? But that where is she supposed to go if they're already on edge? They're already so pushed to the to the fringes of the of the wider community. How is she ever supposed to reach out to people, right? She feels so utterly alone in what she's doing, you know? 
Yeah. One, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it is something that it's funny that it kind of eases you into it, her outsider status. You know, when people ask her where she's from, of course, they're going to ask her, right? Where are you from? And she's like, I'm from Austria, right? That's where I'm from here. But but everyone just looks at her with a side eye, like they don't believe her, her life experience. Uh, and again, it all just reinforces this performance, which is so amazing and so restrained, even though it, it, it's kind of punctuated with these moments of of action and violence. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Doug, was some of the performances. We've talked a lot about the social context of the movie and sort of the ways the film, I think, very deftly combines a sense of the the uh, culture and context it's in while still being very exciting. But yeah. what did you think of the specific performances in the film? Well, I mean, we've talked a little bit already about Violetta Shirelau, who, but and she is like so front and center here that you're not going to watch this without thinking of, oh, wow, that performance is absolutely off the charts. I mean, this is like a star-making performance. I do want to put a little bit of love on Tobias Moretti's performance as Christian Steiner as the cop because he is meant to be so unlikable. And then they do give him just a bit of humanity, maybe even more than just a bit, where you see his life uh, from the perspective, you know, taking care of a father with some measure of dementia. His life is obviously very unhappy. And also that when he is given the knowledge of you know, this is th that he basically has a eureka moment in terms of where the villain might be that he jumps to it. Right. Even though he is not useful as a police officer because he has all of this internalized racism and internalized ignorance that when it comes to him actually having to do his job, that he's shown as, if not heroic, then at least competent in regards to that, um, <laughs> though, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, when he goes and finally confronts the killer. <laughs> and suddenly all this idea of, you know, this woman that he's been hiding in his apartment goes out the window because he puts her on a video call to identify the guy. There's got to have been a thousand better ways for him to do what he is trying to do there that wouldn't involve his partner getting a pencil through his fucking face. <laughs> I'm going to I'm actually going to disagree with you, Doug, because mm -hmm. the character is so annoyed at the complexities of the situation. That is true. That and that just, actually plays into his, his ignorance yeah, as well, too. He just reacts because he thinks what the fuck is this guy going to do? We got him balls to the wall. Yeah. Like, what could he possibly do? Well, he can stab your buddy and run out the door, which is what he does. Yeah. It just never occurs to him. It's. I think it's the other thing. This may sound weird, but in a lot of cultures where white people spend a lot of time filling each other with fear about how there's violence at the door and things can go wrong at any moment, it's weird how surprised they are when things go wrong. Yeah. Like the whole culture is like at any moment someone could do something crazy. So we got to be ready. Then something crazy happens. They're like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, you know what's the craziest thing to me, Doug? Again, we're getting a little political, but uh, I just read an article about how amazed the FBI is that they're getting all these threats right now. Right. Can you believe it? People are really mad at us. So they're trying to like get us. And I'm like, yeah, man, you didn't see the shit. Half these white nationalist groups you like helped. Uh, uh, fund and support so you don't know that they're crazy what the fuck is wrong but this is how it is right is that like he thinks well i'm a cop so like i i got him on lock like we know it's him like this is it what could he possibly do he could he could do what he does he could kill your guy like it's it's yeah. such a funny moment and then part of me was like well that was stupid but then on rethought i'm like of course it was stupid because it's yeah. the movie's not about how this guy's good at his job no. it's about how he's able 
mostly because of the little girl and not even because of our main character. That's true. He's, he's able to be human just for a moment. And that little bit of humanity and vulnerability helps in this situation immeasurably. That if more of these jerk-offs could manage to find what little humanity they have, this would be less of a horror show than it mm. is. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah, he had to be have had to ha- uh, have some innocence being shoved in his face before he could even see any humanity. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point. And you're right. Yeah, maybe I even I can't remember if I said that he was capable. That's not actually a very uh, accurate way of describing him. He basically just runs into the danger because he thinks he can. He thinks he's untouchable. Yeah, and he, and you know he's in the UN. You know, spoilers, I guess. But he's in the fucking UN building, you know? So he thinks, like, what's going to happen in here? Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course it's going to happen. It could happen anywhere, buddy. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the cinematography. How, how do you think this movie looks, Doug? Because one of the few reviews I read was very critical of, of the look of the movie, both the color palette as well as some of the filming of the action. And I, and I wanted to get your vibe mm. on how you felt about the look of the film. I think it it switches a lot, right? I mean, when it shows the streets of Vienna, it's a very kind of got that yellow and green type, you know, uh, the, the light, lighting that's everywhere. It makes it feel kind of sickly. But I feel like that's sort of appropriate for the material. The first kill that we see in the movie, though, where you don't really see the killer, you see a woman's face get smashed against the window. I mean, that's so colorful. It feels like something almost out of a, out of Giallo, right? And mm-hmm. there are moments in this that feel that way. And just like when they go to the UN, I mean, all that bright white. And I, I feel like it, it prop, there is kind of a uh, unpleasantness to some of the cinematography, but I really think that's very intentional to the kind of mood that they're trying to to provoke. Uh, it's just that so much of it takes place on the streets and has that kind of sickly, almost vomit-ish uh, color scheme that, that that I guess it could turn some people off. I mean, at a basic level, if someone wants to tell me they think this movie's a little ugly for whatever reason, I don't know that I would immediately say they're wrong, but I'm inclined to agree with you, Doug. I don't think it's unintentional. I think it works for the theme. And that doesn't mean it'll work for everyone. Some people will watch this movie and go, it has a kind of off-color digital nature that I don't like. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? I think there's some people who would say that or who feel the action is maybe filmed a little too tight, a little too shaky. Mm. But I didn't feel... I felt like the points in the action where things were a little unclear, it made it feel more chaotic. This isn't a movie about a master martial artist. She's not a fucking Kung Fu master, right? Yeah. She studied enough kickboxing to kind of defend herself from this guy, but that's it. It's not about her doing wuxia kicks through the air and shit. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's just so, in those moments where he thinks that sh- there's no way that she can defend herself. She can do a small thing to defend herself. Right. Exactly. And I, th- because of that and because of how claustrophobic and gross the film is supposed to be, I like some of the things I had read as complaints. And I just wanted to see if you felt the same way. Um, it feels like we both are really into this movie. And so, again, I, I got to circle back to the thing we kind of mentioned earlier, which is that this movie is pretty absentee. Like, we could have we could have easily floated this movie on Forgotten Gems if, if it had won any awards, uh, because this is a movie that I don't hear people talking about. Is this just an effect of Shudder, or do you think there's some other reason that this film really hasn't had the impact on the kind of genre nerds who would love this movie? I think there's a couple of different things. One is I don't think that everyone necessarily picks up on some of the things we've been talking about because you can kind of ignore it if you want to. 
The other thing is that its look is close enough to an American slasher movie, at least modern, like the ones made in the last decade, that if you compare the two, then the American ones look a lot slicker for the most part because usually they have more money available to them. And I think on first glance, or maybe if you're not paying a, a lot of attention, it just might look like a murky, ugly version of something that you could see you know, in a much slicker way, even in other movies on Shudder. But I don't think that, you know, part of being a fan of genre cinema and horror cinema in particular is that you love digging for gems, right? That was part of the joy in like the 1990s about going to a video store when you don't have that knowledge. It's just like, this one might be good. And if you find one that's good, you want to tell other people about it. But that's the odd thing about this particular example, which is that, you know, we both put it out there. Hey, we're watching this movie. And a few people came to us and said, oh, I love that movie. That movie is so good. But there aren't those people out there kind of preaching its praises. They're, they're not out there saying, well, like, this is one of the great underrated or undervalued or underloved slashers of the past decade or so. You just don't hear. It. Maybe it just needs a little bit of time. Maybe it's the title, as we've already talked about, which is kind of a bland title, doesn't really give a sense of what's inside of it. Or maybe, maybe it's just not different enough. You know, it's, sure. it's not easy yeah. to describe to someone as the movie with this, right? This is a movie, you know, what, with the the woman who practices mixed martial arts who tangles with a um, religious, uh, religiously motivated uh, psycho killer. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to explain it in a way that makes it sound appealing and it doesn't, you don't really have that elevator pitch for it. So maybe that's part of it as well. But to me, it's like this should... There's no, I would say this is at least as good as uh, another movie that got ton of a ton of attention, um, uh, like high tension. I mean, I think it's it's in that that level of quality. And also, it's a film that I think could appeal as equally to action people as it does to horror people. Sure, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, I don't know that it's been pushed that way. And I, I just, uh, it's such a fun and exciting movie to me. I'm more focused on. Everyone should get their shit together and watch this movie. But I think you're right. Those are all really good reasons as to why maybe it didn't play. It also could just be luck, right? It could just be it hit at a time and people didn't notice, you know, and that happens. But, you know, on this show, we, we spend a lot of time talking about all manner of different kinds of movies that maybe not everyone has heard of. And this is one of those times when we're discussing a movie that I think, hey, I can think of people that should watch this movie that I think would like it. What's great is that we can tell people how to see it, right? You can you can go on Shutter right now and see this movie, especially because it's a Shutter exclusive, so it's available in any place that Shutter is available. And in fact, uh, if you are in a part of the world that has Tubi, you can see Bad Black right now. I think Who Killed Captain Alex is on there as well, so you can see both both of the movies that we've talked. Oh about. yeah, Bad Black is also on the Arrow channel, which I have right. uh, if you want to watch it, and I think it's also on Fandor. It's also on YouTube, actually. So, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to see that. There's really only one way to see... That's uh, uh, funny. I, I forgot the title again. That It shows you the difficulty. Cold Hell uh, can really only be seen on Shudder. And, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's by design. Check it out. Well, Doug, if for some... I mean, actually, I forgot... We yeah. gotta we gotta have our final vote here. <laughs> I I love Bad Black. It's a it's a, it's an all time classic. I I think it's definitely a rewatchable film. But uh, I'm going with Cold Hell, man. I think I think Cold Hell is the best. I mean, literally two movies that are impossible to compare. Right, just so 100%. different in every single possible way. Um, 
And also, even on top of, oh, the genres are different and the subject matter is different, the, the, what the filmmakers were trying to do was so different. But, you know, it's funny, the thing that they both have in common is that they're very reflective of the cultures in which made them. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting because they're both not Western movies. Uh, well, I should say, they're both not North American movies. So it's, it's, it's a hard comparison to make. I guess if I went with the idea of what's the movie I'm more likely to rewatch in the near future, maybe Bad Black would be the winner. But I have to say the movie that is a revelation to me is Cold Hell. So I'll give you this one, Liam. I think Cold Hell is the winner, but I strongly recommend that listeners check out both of these movies. Doug, if for some strange reason people want to know more about this show <laughs> or any of the shows featured on the Cinepunks Network, where, where would they go to find out more? Well, you can go over to Cinepunks.com, of course. Check out all of the podcasts under that title as well as all the writing. Uh, you can find it on Cinepunks, or sorry, I should say, you can find Cinepunks on all of the social medias of note, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the name Cinepunks. So why don't you sign up? Why don't you tell your friends? But if you just want to check out more episodes of Cinema Fantastica or of all the other podcasts under the Cinema Smorgasbord label, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com or follow us on Twitter at Cinemasmorg. That's S M. O-R-G. We have a lot of different shows with all sorts of subject matter devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, George Kennedy. Lots of stuff over at cinemasmorgasport.com. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Or why don't you tell a friend that does even more for us? Why don't you put a post out on social media? Stop what you're doing. Put a post out right now. You can also follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E. Why? Thanks, Doug, and thanks to all of you for watching. Like Doug said, tell a friend, check out a pa our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Cinepunks, and really just, you know, continue to be the awesome people that you are. But uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good night. Good night. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to say.